joined now by third-year head coach of William Jewell College, Chris McCabe. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Hey, guys. Thanks. This is uh, this is awesome. I really appreciate you having me on. And the podcast is awesome. And uh, us diehard basketball junkies, and uh, we love we love it, man. So thanks for everything you guys do. It's fun to join you. Well, thank you for joining us, and and we appreciate everything that your ball club has given us to talk about this year you finished just one game under 500 in conference play at nine and ten an improvement of four wins on last season's total and you still have a really young club tell us a little bit just overall about your season how you feel how it went and you know having that young core how you feel moving forward into the conference tournament yeah well I mean great observations I mean entirely accurate about kind of what we've been through and, and how we're growing. Um, you know, I think that one thing that jumps out is, we, you know, we had quite a few players by the end of the year last season um, who were playing some heavy minutes and who returned this year. So, you know, Jordan Germain, Trey Shannon, um, they got they got a chunk of minutes towards the end of last year um, as Jordan being a freshman, Trey being a sophomore, and then Grant Stubbs started for us, made the all-freshman team. And so we finished in February last year with a group coming back. And then you add in a couple seniors like Alexander, who, you know, gets over a thousand points. Zimmerman, who's a steady leader, uh, you know, a four-year college player and just gets it. So then you start in the preseason, you start getting a little excited about, okay, we've got, you know, returning experience and they've played well and performed in the league. And so you think you're going to take a jump. And then we challenged ourselves with our early season schedule. You know, we were an honorary MIAA member, I joke, you know, for a little while by playing the, the Washburns and Emporios and Centrals. And, you know, we went through um, that stretch and Missouri Western. And, and so we challenged them early to kind of figure out where we are. And then, like everybody in the league, you got some disruptions um, that, that hit us at the end of December, early January. So, you know, we've been through almost a couple of versions of the season with this group. Um, but, you know, we're certainly, certainly appreciative of how hard and disciplined that, that they're, they've been in their work uh, to continue to elevate the program because it's, it's you know, you have plans, but, um, you know, they don't always go the way you want. But then also you have hope, and hope's not exactly the best leadership strategy either. So, you know, you need some of it to plan, to pan out and, you know, Kobe's ascension, Jordan's continued steady play, Mason, and I can go on and on and on about the guys, but they've just continued to raise their level and, and therefore hopefully our program's been able to raise our level overall. Coach, I know that you talk about raising the level of play, and that's what your team has done this season in the Great Lakes Valley Conference. Getting to host a first-round tournament game certainly has to excite you, Coach. But when you talk about raising the level of play, that has really come on the defensive end of the floor. You've picked up some marquee victories this season against, say, Washburn or even even a Southern Indiana Lewis-type teams, and you held all those teams to 60 or less points. Is the identity of this team playing really good defense? And talk about your philosophy as a coach on the defensive end. Yeah, well, I hope it is. Um, now that's been you know, a work in progress, but I think that's something you can control every night home or away, conference, non-conference, November or March. Um, I think your defensive efforts, the focus that you need to have defensively, um, and then also just the basketball intelligence it takes to play good defense. Because, you know, 
you're going against guys who are elite, elite offensive players in our league. And how do you slow them down? Because you're not going to stop them. Um, and so what we've spent a ton of time in our staff, uh, you know, associate head coach Christian Hildebrand does a phenomenal job of pouring over the scouts, of going through ideas of game plan. And then assistant coach Mike Williams does a lot of statistical analysis for us that gives us feedback about, you know, maybe this team's more, uh, you know, like the higher three-point rate than another team. And so our defensive scheme will adjust a little game to game. But then the biggest thing is your players have to go out there and believe in what you're doing and execute it at a high level. And so there's certain teams that, you know, have systems that are maybe more difficult to guard than others, but a core defensive identity that you build in, you know, September, October gets you to the point where then, you know, you don't feel so overwhelmed when you're going against a variety of schemes like you see in our league. Um, but then also just the tenacity of your players. Like, you know, we, we've moved from when we first started to where we are now. Now we're up the middle of the pack and rebound margin where that was something where we'd get some stops, but then we wouldn't be able to rebound the ball. Well, now we're rebounding the ball less, uh, better. We're, we, our turnover rate is in better position than it's been in the past. And then the assist percentage that we allow opponents, um, you know, is top 15, top 20 in the country because – you know, we, we, we try to just play really good positional defense and contest everything. So, um, you know, when guys are able to jump up and hit shots, it gets frustrating. But but that's just the, the nature of who we are, who we think we're going to be. Now, we'd love to score, too, right? Like, we don't have to just win 80 to, you know, 75. Let's, let's just go ahead and win 80 to 65. You know, we, we can still score and keep people down. But um, I, I'm very proud of their identity that they're they're – taking on and the toughness that it takes to do it night in and night out against some really, really good players and phenomenal coaches in our league. We're talking right now with Chris McCabe, the head coach of William Jewell College. And coach, you've been a program builder from the start of your coaching days, really starting that, that Liberty North program in the Kansas City area, a tremendous high school basketball program now from the ground up. And, you know, in, in similar ways, starting to employ some of those same things where you have to implement your own culture and, and different things that you need to do coming in as a head coach now in your third season here at William Jewell. Talk a little bit about that process and, and maybe how you embrace that, that role of, of taking things from the ground up and being like, look, we're going to build something amazing here. Maybe we weren't given everything to begin with, but we're going to take it to, to a place where it's never been before. Well, I've often joked, though, it only took me two games to be the all-time winningest and losingest coach at Liberty North since they <laughs> never had a game, right? So <laughs> it only took me two games to take both records, right? We win our first one, lose our second one, and then I've got a, I've got a stranglehold on both of those for a few years now. But um, So, you know, the, the number one thing it starts with, it starts with the people who believe in you and give you a chance to do it. Right. So Marty Jacobs was the principal at the time who hired me to trust me to run Liberty North and then Jason Cahill and Bob Cornell, two athletic directors who were so supportive and helped mentor me. And and then, you know, at, at Jewel, uh, you know, Tom Eisenhower, our athletic director throughout the interview process, we just we have alignment. We have a shared vision about how we want to build a program and, and grow it and elevate, you know, our program, our department and then the college and our president. Elizabeth Clyde Walls is just a, a terrific supporter. And so 
when you have alignment with leadership, it makes a huge, huge difference because when you talk about a, a program, right, I mean, I think there's a huge difference between a team and a program. Um, and I think teams come and go. Every year there's a different team that, that you coach. But I think programs have a sustainability and a consistency to them that, that is exciting um, because then the expectation of what you uh, have happened internally with just your work ethic, with the quality of people you have, with the demands that you place on them, um, then it turns into a, a player-led uh, type atmosphere. And if you can get your players to, to speak your language, to believe in the same things, to believe in the right stuff and continue to push, like, boy, you've really got a chance. And that's what, you know, at Liberty North, we were able to have some success early. Um, but we had a bunch of young guys who, in our first year, we went 8-19. And they took their lumps, um, but they stuck with it, and they kept showing back up. And I mean, that's as satisfying of a of a year coaching as I've ever had. We had we had two players who had ever who had played JV basketball prior, and then the next year they come over, and you know we made a little bit of a run to a district championship, and um, like just a really <laughs> you saw growth, and so the job's never done. You know, you're always working. You're always trying to find something to do. And then at Jewel, um, I, I won't live long enough to be able to get as many wins as Coach Holly. Um, I mean, the guy's just a phenomenal, phenomenal coach, person. He's been so supportive of us. And, um, you know, you talk about a program, right? He had a program. And so now I get to come in and, and try to put my own twist on it. But the identity of, of building a program that's sustainable in Kansas City in the Division Two market, in you know what I think is the premier league for Division Two basketball in the country, um, you know it's exciting. So, you know it's a very very long winded way of telling you that you know you surround yourself with people who believe in you, and you get people as players who you know have some high expectations of themselves, and you go out there and do some fun stuff. And so to see the growth that we've had over a couple of years to translate to some success is, is certainly exciting for us. Um, but you know what, you're just kind of focused on doing doing the next best thing because you know it's always it's always coming at you chris do you have a moment at least this season where you thought we really do have a chance to do something special this season was there kind of a defining moment where i know that you've had sustained history of william jewel like you talk about coach holly but in specific for this season do you think this is a season that can kind of define where your program wants to go moving forward? And was there a moment this season when you realized, hey, we do have a chance to do something special and a chance to make a run in the postseason? Well, you know, I don't know. I, that's a great question. Um, we had, during homecoming, we had a little open practice for our families. Um and we had some people, some of our players' families. We got we got a lot of local kids, which was a recruiting emphasis for us. And um, we had them come in, and I got a couple coaches' kids um, on our team. And we got done with that scrimmage, so it was late September. And a couple of them said, "Man, you guys look different." And when you see it every day, you know you probably don't don't have that perspective of somebody who saw us last March and then hadn't seen us again until late September. Um, but I left and Christian and I were talking and he said, yeah, you know, a couple of people said the same thing to me. Um, and then, you know, a couple of scrimmages we had early in the year, we got some feedback, but um, I don't know if there's a single moment, um, but I think the lack of having some valleys 
during the September, October stretch of kind of gearing up for a season um, gave me some excitement with this group because, you know, sometimes you just tank at the big, before your games even start because guys are just bored with the, the monotony of the preseason and the conditioning and the physical stuff. And, and then they just won't play the games and you're asking them to practice and do all this stuff. And, and they showed up every single day and they were just so good about doing what they were asked and doing it really well. And so I started thinking, okay, there's some consistency here. So that probably gave me um, some excitement uh, about where to go for specific for this team. And then, and then you ask about this kind of moving forward. I mean, you know, like, yeah, we'll return 15 to 17 players um, when the season's done this year. But, you know, you can't just rely on the fact that you bring back players that, that you're better, right? The players you bring back has got to be better too. Um, so, you know, a lot of conversations will happen in the spring and, and throughout the, the summer fall to make sure that they're getting better. So we're in better position um, to be successful. But, you know, retention of, of your good players is a huge part um, in growing them and developing them and having time and, and patience with people who, um, you know, support you is important. And luckily we've got that going. And coach, you talk a little bit about wanting to build your program with some of those local products. Well, Jordan Germain from Raypex talked about him just being a sophomore, finishes 16th in the league in scoring, but he does so much more than, than just score the basketball. I'm so impressed by his work rate when I watch him out there. And I would imagine that that's a testament to his work ethic in practice. What kind of a, a leader is this young man? Because you can just see it, even though he's a sophomore, mm-hmm. the way he plays the game, he's just different than most guys out there. Yeah, so mature beyond his years, right? Like that's a great observation about him. Work rate's a good way to describe him. He, um, he deserves a ton of credit for it. He's an, he's an incredibly um, internally motivated and disciplined kid. Um, you know, some players you got to get on. Um, very rarely have I ever had to get after Jordan for anything um, because his expectations of himself are so high. Um, his dad was his high school coach, and I competed against Scott prior to Jordan being there. Um, and then when Jordan was younger, before I got the jewel job, I actually competed against him. Um, and his dad is a terrific coach and does a great job developing players. And so Jordan doesn't have a game that is super flashy if it's like a showcase event or if it's a um, if it's an all-star game because he's going to know how to, who to pass the ball to and where they should be cutting and what they should be doing. But then when he needs to, he can take over a game. And he, and he did that this year on the road to death and peak, for example. He just was – he was unguardable in stretches in that game, and he knew how to take it over. Um, but he sets an example of a leader um, by his daily habits and how he works, right? First guy in the gym, last to leave. Um, he's great. Uh, you know, he, he came over to me after a practice when we were walking through some special situation stuff and he's like, coach, I really don't like this play, this special situation plays like, cause if, if I'm trying to get the ball, I don't like the option of where I have to cut here. And so like having that feedback from a player just shows you where his mind for the game is at. And it's not like, you know, an accusatory coach, you don't know what you're doing. It's just, he understands if he needs to be in a position to have success he doesn't feel as strong as to be in that position. And so we've been able to adjust stuff like that. Now his next evolution is if I can get him, we don't call if I can get him to be more verbal uh, with our players, uh, with his teammates, 
they respect him a ton. Um, and if he becomes more verbal, then I think some players will start elevating their game even more. Coach, appreciate uh, you taking some time here and uh, breaking everything down. Best of luck uh, coming up against Lindenwood in the opening round of the Great Lakes Valley Conference Tournament. We're certainly uh, going to be tuned into this one. Well, hey, guys, appreciate you taking the time and having me on. Thanks for all you do for your schools and, and for the league and promoting our sport. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, Kyle's got a good club that can score it like crazy. And we want to play well. And if we can play well, then hopefully we can get together down in Edwardsville here in a few days. That's Chris McKay, the head coach of William Jewell College. Thank you so much, Coach. And good luck in that one. We'll talk to you later. We've got a special GLVC Tournament Preview Edition coming your way. Colin Surrey of the McKendree Bearcats alongside Will Connerly of the Quincy Hawks. And, Will, we have got one heck of a tournament to break down. I'm so excited I can hardly contain myself here. I am too. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to sleep these next couple days because I want to watch every game. I mean, I it's going to be so fun on Monday night with – I mean, I love that the tournament is expanded. We have so many games to talk about. I can't wait to get right into it here. Yeah, we got to talk to Chris McCabe earlier. He was an absolute joy to talk to about his squad and what to expect, and they're taking on Lindenwood in the first round. Let's run over real quick just what the seating is for you and set the table before we dive into these matchups, it's Southwest Baptist with the one seed and the bye. They are the lone team that has already punched their ticket to the Vidal Bean Center in Edwardsville. They will play that quarterfinal game on March 3rd. Meanwhile, everyone else will play Monday, February 28th here for that spot in the Vidal Bean Center portion of the tournament for the quarterfinals. And it's William Jewell taking on Lindenwood. Jewell the eight seed, Lindenwood the nine seed. Southern Indiana, the five seed, takes on Illinois Springfield, the 12 seed. Of course, the lower seeds uh, hosting. So William Jewell hosting, Southern Indiana hosting. Umsel, the four seed, hosts Drury. Uh, Indianapolis, the six seed, hosts Missouri S&T. Truman State, the three seed, hosts Rockhurst. McKendry, the seven seed, hosts Quincy. And then Lewis, the two seed, hosts Maryville. So, Again, we get back to that William Jewell and Lindenwood matchup, and these are a couple of teams for William Jewell. They've really made that push up, and we talked about that in that interview with Coach McCade that they have gone from one of those teams that's been towards the bottom of the conference and now pushed their way into the middle of the conference, hosting this first-round tournament game. But Lindenwood is a team that when they have had all of their guys healthy and they have three of the best stars in this conference. When those three are there, Caldwell Jr., as well as Ross and Burrell, I mean, they are extremely hard to stop. It looks like they will have that combination in this one, and this should be an interesting matchup between a defensive-minded team in William Jewell and an offensive-minded team in Lindenwood. No, it should be great because, like you mentioned, Lindenwood maybe has, when you take the best three one-on-one 
players as a net. Like you, 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 I don't know if another team can match the three one-on-one players that Lindenwood has with Jacoby Ross, Kevin Caldwell Jr. and Romello Burrell. It's a kind of a three-headed one-on-one monster. Their assist numbers aren't very high because they are so one-on-one heavy and they get to the line better than anybody in the conference and they knock down foul shots better than nearly anybody in the country. They get to the line so much and knock them down. That's where they get a lot of their points, but you're right. William Jewell has run teams off the three-point line this season, one of the best three-point shooting defenses in the league. That's kind of their identity. They've held some really good teams to 60 or less points this year, which has been impressive, but Lindenwood is a high-powered offense, so something will have to give in this game. A lot is on the line as both teams are trying to punch their ticket to the Vidala Bean Center, where they would have the great honor and great grace of uh, taking on the number one seed in Southwest Baptist. That's who the winner of this game will play. And one of the things that's so scary about this Lindenwood team is that it feels like they play games on their own terms. Because when you have a guy like Jacoby Ross, I mean, what do you do to guard him? He's either just making shots or sometimes they're just not falling. And if this guy gets hot in a tournament setting, I mean, look out. He just feels like one of those one of those UConn-type guards that can just carry you all the way, doesn't he? No, he does, and and the reason why is because you can play good defense against him. Say it's McKinley or say it's Jordan Germain, who are really good defenders going up against him. He hits some of the toughest mid-range shots in this league. Kind of his, his pull-up game is so nice, and he can get downhill too because he's really quick first step. And so even when you play good defense, I mean, he just hits some really tough shots. And that's why I think that Lindenwood is a dangerous team. And I also think it is going to be interesting to see how they respond. I think that they emptied the tank against Southern Indiana in that overtime game while William Jewell was idle on Saturday. So Jewell is going to be more rested and they're going to be playing at their home gym where they shoot the ball pretty well. So I think that's going to be interesting. And if William Jewell can hit some threes, if they can, play well I think that they have a good chance but they have to find a way to slow down Lindenwood a team that shares the ball at a high rate because they score the ball well but it doesn't really necessarily reflect in their assist numbers Lindenwood's not really a good team on the glass but they can score they've got that three-headed scoring monster all of them can fill up the scoring column and then also they're a team that takes care of the ball they get it to the guys they get their shots up so Jewel is going to have to force them to take tough mid-range shots and they have to contest what William Jewel is going to have to contest what Lindenwood wants to do from the three-point line as well but Joel has done that all year so I think it should be just a great matchup yeah it's a great point that you bring up with the rest because if we go back to last week Lindenwood had to make up a game against McKendry on Wednesday that had previously been scheduled for the Thursday Mm -hmm. before due to inclement weather they played a back-to-back against UND right after that those were both very close hard-fought games that came down to the wire they split those two contests And then we talk about that hard-fought loss in overtime against Southern Indiana. This will be the fourth game in six days going into a conference tournament for Lindenwood. And meanwhile, William Jewell finished their regular season on Thursday. They didn't even play on Saturday. This will be their second game in six days. So there is a clear advantage for William Jewell. Not only do they get to play at home, 
much more rested as well. But then you wonder, hey, is this one of those things where Lindenwood can kind of flip it on its head and say, look, we've been playing good basketball and we've been able to stay in rhythm here. That'll be interesting to kind of watch. And and you wonder if that statement will be made early in this game. Who's going to have that high intensity level, right? Well, also you think, okay, you go on a bus to Evansville, you get back to St. Charles, and they certainly had to leave on Sunday to go get to William Jewell. Think about all the nights in a hotel. Think about the bus ride from Evansville to Liberty. I mean, that is definitely something that you can't uh, ignore in this game. But I also think that all that stuff may go off the table. I mean, I mean, it is a factor, but it is also the conference tournament. I think everybody's going to be trying to play at an extremely high level. I mean, both teams are in that we aren't going to see a tomorrow if we don't win mindset. So that's why I think it's going to be a great game that comes down to the wire. And, you know, one of the things that I teased in our last episode, why I think Lindenwood is so dangerous in a tournament setting is just what I noted about Jacoby Ross. I mean, you're looking for in in tournament play on a neutral floor, and if you want to go win on the road, do you have guard play that can hold up? And certainly with Kevin Caldwell Jr. and Jacoby Ross, Lindenwood has that. And then you've got the guy down low in Romello Burrell that can add that inside-out game, which is what makes them so dangerous just as a, as an entity offensively. But then the thing that really puts them over the top for me is the way this team takes care of the basketball. And I'm so impressed that, you know, you think about the style and a lot of one-on-one ball and all of that kind of thing. You think, oh, maybe they're not the cleanest team. No, no, don't, don't get it twisted with this Lindenwood team. They take tremendous care of the basketball. And I think, you know, for teams that are defensive-based, like a William Jewell, that presents a huge challenge because – They're not really a team that you can expect to get into them and force a bunch of turnovers and take them out of their game. They kind of keep it simple to a point to where they don't allow you to do that. Exactly. They don't. They're going to have some good offensive sets. William Jewell is going to have to be there. They're going to have to be in the passing lanes early in the shot clock to try to get some steals and get in transition. I think that if Jewell can get on the glass and limit Lindenwood to one shot, they're going to have a good chance. But Obviously, Jewell isn't a great offensive team, but they do have some capable shooters like Kobe McKinley, Jordan Termain, Mason Alexander. They're going to need those guys to shoot. They're also going to need those guys to have some balls fall the right way. So, so guys like Harry Shi Yo-Yo can be a presence on the glass inside fighting against Suggs. I mean, Jewel's going to need those second chance opportunities. And I think that they are going to want to run more than ever in transition off any Lindenwood miss because this is a team that probably is fighting some fatigue and travel lag. Oh, certainly. I think that's going to be one of the keys to the game for William Jewel is to get out and try to get some of those easy buckets in transition if you can. And Certainly another guy that you mentioned there, Harry Shiyoyo, is going to be huge for William Jewell as well. If he can be that X factor down in the paint, I think that could go a long way for the Cardinals in trying to, like we talk about, punch that ticket to the quarterfinals and the Vidalabean Center in Edwardsville, Illinois, for the quarterfinals. That's William Jewell, the 8th seed, hosting Lindenwood, the 9th seed, at 7 p.m on Monday, February 28th in Liberty, Missouri. Can't wait to watch that one. And then we move along to Illinois Springfield going on the road to take on 
Southern Indiana and Southern Indiana coming off of that overtime win against Lindenwood. But Illinois Springfield has started to really play some better ball here and Chase Robinson particularly is heating up individually. And as he goes, Illinois Springfield tends to go. That is true, but also... As Southern Indiana goes, Jacob Palakovich goes a lot of the time, a man averaging a double-double with 11 of them this season. Fifth in the country in rebounds. He has 14.8 rebounds over the last six games. And Colin, against UIS, I think Palakovich has to be licking his chops. In two games against the Prairie Stars this year, his average is 22 points and 14 rebounds. I expect him to be dominant against the Prairie Stars once again in this one. And, I mean, it's going to be a really good game. I know Southern Indiana leads the all-time series 16-4. to They held the Prairie Stars to just four, uh, 39 points in a meeting this year, then 52 in another meeting. And UIS, yes. They are playing a little bit better, but they have lost 10 of their last 13 games since the end of January. And that all started with a 66 to 39 loss to Southern Indiana, but winning two of their last three and having Chase Robinson and Chris Hamill and Jack Weber, they're going to have a lot at Screaming Eagle Arena to deal with, with what Southern Indiana brings to the table. Yeah, certainly they were suffocating in the two regular season matchups were the Screaming Eagles against the Prairie Stars. But there is that adage, it's tough to beat a team three times. And especially that that rings true in a league like this when you're just so familiar on both sides with what each team wants to do and you know what's happening. It, it is certainly the advantage for the team that lost those two first games. You are the team that's making all of the adjustments and the one – that is kind of reacting and in, in, in uh, trying to improve upon what you had done previously. Meanwhile, Southern Indiana is more of in a guessing game because you know what you've done well and you want to try to come out and execute that well again, but you're going to have to react to what Illinois Springfield does and what adjustments they make. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to, to find some kind of offensive rhythm because Southern Indiana, I mean, you talked about it, 39 points in a game. That is extremely impressive. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that they have, when the two teams have previously met this year, it's just been a dominant defensive effort for Southern Indiana against Illinois Springfield. And this offense of UIS, I mean, they've shown at times they can score, like scoring nearly 100 against Lindenwood this year. But against USI, they've been shut down in a playoff game on the road, though. You think they could maybe keep it close against Southern Indiana, but UIS at times has been shut down. I mean, nine different times they've scored six. 63 or less points. They're 0 and 9 in those games, two of which did come against Southern Indiana. They shot 24.5% and 38% in the two games against the Screaming Eagles, who are suffocating on the defensive end. So it's going to be interesting. Jelani Simmons, we've seen what Stafford has done as of late. And of course, Palakovich has just had a field day against the Prairie Stars in the two previous meetings this year. So that is going to be interesting to see if Southern Indiana could pick up a third impressive win against UIS here this season, but it would come in the conference tournament. A lot on the line. I fully expect Stan Gerard's team to be prepared in this one. I do as well. And, and you know, that's kind of the guy, Jacob Polakovich, when you look at this matchup is who's, who's matching him, you know, who is kind of negating him on the other end. And I know you got 
James Kelly for for UIS, but Polakovic is is one of those guys, especially rebounding. I mean, he did not lead the conference in rebounding by almost a three rebound per game margin by mistake. He is just that dominant down low. Any one person is not going to stop him. It has to be a collective effort. And so far, UIS has not shown that they have what it takes to slow him down. Four offensive rebounds per game for the big fella, Jacob Polakovic, a guest that we had on the show earlier this year. So I think the the rebounding and that battle in the paint is the first thing that Illinois Springfield has to answer if they want to show that they have a shot in this game. That for sure, and they're also going to have to have Chris Hamill and Chase Robinson make shots early to give them confidence that they can hang with USI because I know USI wants to run, and they basically want to say, hey, I don't think the Prairie Stars can run with us for 40 minutes. And you're right, Palakovich, who who is going to neutralize him? You do have a, a talented young forward like Jack Weber in this league who's a double-figures guy. But to match the physicality of Jacob Palakovich is so hard. And if you focus too much on him, we've talked at nauseum about the other guards. Like, we haven't even mentioned what Henry can do with the basketball here in this preview. And then Stafford, and then Swope, I mean, and then Simmons. I mean, the, you go down the line, and this way, Southern Indiana is such a dangerous team. Yeah, they have a, a bunch of different options, particularly you look at the amount of attacking guards that they have and, and how athletic and good they are on the defensive end. It's a lot of two-way type players in that regard. No one really jumping out at you on the statue. You know, Jelani Simmons, Simmons averages just 13 and a half points per game. That is tops on this team. But what Southern Indiana does so well, they've got seven different guys averaging at least eight points per game, which is something that, you know, very few teams in the country can boast. So we'll see if Illinois Springfield can stop that that kind of wave approach that USI can bring on the offensive end in that one and what they bring defensively as well as Southern Indiana looks for their third victory this season against Illinois Springfield as they host the Prairie Stars in that one. And then we move along to Umsel as the Tritons host Drury in the Panthers and some history going back to the tournament last year when Drury took down Umsel. Now this is a very different Drury team this year. Umsel has a lot of those same pieces back and you can bet they're looking for some revenge and they've got a huge chip on their shoulder coming into this tournament. I mean, Umsel has a chip on their shoulder but they also have a ton of confidence on those shoulders because of the fact that they finished the regular season winning six consecutive games in eight of their past nine. They're playing the best basketball of the season. They pick up their 20th win. They're now 20-6 and six overall this year, hosting Drury, and Drury ending Umsel's season last year in the GLVC semifinals. Not only was Umsel... I mean, obviously, they just didn't play well in that game. They didn't take care of the basketball. They're not going to have to go up against Conley Garrison in this game like they had to, of course, last year as he's moved on from that Panther program and not playing with them this year. But, man, oh, man, Umsel certainly had did not forget. Like you mentioned, a lot of the same guys who felt like they were destined to maybe make a run as the two-seed last year to win a GLVC title. And because of that early loss in the semifinals, they didn't get uh, a bid to the NCAA 
NCAA tournament. I mean, Lewis kind of stole a bid from Umsel because of the fact that they got the automatic qualifier. And Jury, a team that's just 1-10 away from home, playing in one of the most adverse environments in the league. Umsel already beat them this season, 80-62. to Of course, the rematch from last year's GLVC tournament, same setting. It's going to be in the Mark Twain building in St. Louis once again. Drury won 79-63 last year. But man, oh man, Umsel has been so good in Great Lakes Valley Conference play this year, posting a 14-5 and record. Their five losses have come by a combined 17 points. Their, their margin of losing in those five losses, 3.4 points is their average. I mean, you're not going to blow this team out. Two of those losses are to Truman. Two of those losses are by one point. And one of the losses is to SBU. So, I mean, Umsel is so good. They play with anyone in this league. They can dominate people with Marty Jackson. And it's going to be a really good game. I know the last time these two teams met this season, it was tied at halftime. But Umsel put up 48 points in the second half to pick up an 18-point victory. And nobody's playing better basketball other than maybe SBU in the GLVC right now than the Umsel Tritons. Oh, my my guy, Will. Can I can I get a second to vent here for a minute? Go ahead. Well, look, what what is with the disrespect of Umsel and Southwest Baptist in the Midwest regional rankings? I would love for these computers to show up and watch a Bearcats or Tritons basketball game, and then continue to rank them outside of the top eight in the Midwest because. There is something seriously wrong if you watch these two teams play and you don't think they're a part of that top eight in the Midwest region. Now, I know there are some really, really good teams included in that group, some tremendous GMAC squads. They've got some great teams this year. I get it. I get it. UMSL has the pedigree. They have the experience. Same thing with Southwest Baptist. These are two teams that deserve that, and I think UMSL – is going to show it on this occasion against Drury because you look at some of these names, like these guys have been there. They've done it. Marty Jackson, Yakima Rose Jr. hitting a big shot a couple of years ago in the conference tournament. Jose Grubbs, Steve Webb, back-to-back all-defensive player of the year. Shane Wissink has been playing so good during this winning streak for UMSL. You know, everything is coming together at the right time for this UMSL team. And, and I can be upset about it. Everyone else can be upset about it. But this Tritons team is proving it on the hardwood. And ultimately, that's what matters at the end of the day. And if they keep playing like they are, I think this is a team that, you know, they have an extremely good shot of coming away with that automatic bid and not even have to worry about what the rankings may say about them. Right now, I don't know if there's a team that I could say confidently could beat Umsel on even on a neutral court. I really don't because of how physical they are. They're the toughest team, I think, in the league, and they're 10-2 and two at home. I fully expect them to avenge that loss from last year in this matchup against Drury. They've been playing so well, and I, I think that, I mean, I'm interested to see what the regional rankings look like here after this week with how well Umsel's been playing in Southwest Baptist and with the two losses that Truman had. I wonder if there's going to be more than one GLVC team included in the top eight. I fully expect that to be the case uh, coming up this week. Could be very interesting. So Drury coming off of that emotional buzzer beater winner in their season finale will take on Umsel 
and also winners of six straight. We just got done talking about how great that team is. Can't wait to watch that one on Monday night at 7.30 Central Time. And then we move along to Missouri S&T traveling to UND to take on the Hounds at 6 p.m. and 6 p.m. Central Time, 7 Eastern. And this is a UND team that blew the doors off of Missouri S&T twice in the regular season. And both times they held Julian Smith to season lows, nine and 10 points. Are they able to do that a third time? I mean, it seems almost impossible to say yes, because Julian Smith is another one of those guys like a Jacoby Ross, where it feels like, you know, almost an anomaly to, to stop him twice in a row. Another one of those really good, tough shot makers. Well, you look at it, and you look at a guy who, I mean, he probably won't win GLBC Defensive Player of the Year, but there's multiple guys on this indie team who should be on the all-defensive team. They're one of the most suffocating defenses in the league. I don't expect Julian Smith to struggle for a third time against Indianapolis, despite being on the road in Nickerson Hall, where Indianapolis has been so good this season. Corsaro has got the guys playing right in this building, and they have Corey Miller Jr. and Jacoby Robinson, amongst other guys who can just switch off of Julian Smith and force him to take tough shots. But I don't think Julian Smith is going to struggle in a playoff game for the third time against uh, Indy this year. I think he gets in his double figures and gets his uh, normal 15 to 20 points to let S&T coming off a nice win over the weekend. I I think that Julian Smith, I I don't know how you can stop him three times. Obviously, Indy has cracked the code twice. I think he has a good game, but he's going to need more than that. You're going to need Stratting to step up. You're going to need other guys on this S&T roster like Froby to make shots because you, Indy, I mean, even if Julian Smith had his 20 or 30 points, you, Indy, still dominated S&T twice in the regular season, and I fully expect you, Indy, to play well in this game because they have a lot to play for, and I know that they've been one of the toughest defensive teams in the league. They limit opponents scoring. I mean, they held S&T to 50 and 61 points, respectively, in the two meetings in the regular season, and just Jesse Bingham really just took off against this team as well twice. So I think that those are two things to watch out for. Corey Miller Jr.'s defense is certainly going to be um, at the top of the list in terms of things to watch in this game as well. But I think S&T is going to be able to keep it close because I think Julian Smith is going to give Indy everything they can handle. I, I, I just think it's going to be hard to stop him three straight times, one of the top scorers in the league. That That's kind of how I feel about it, but I'm also really intrigued to see if Indy can do that once again that would just be a great testament to how good Indianapolis's defense is because it has been darn good all year long yeah I mean they they did not dominate Missouri S&T by mistake twice earlier this year and it almost makes a little bit of sense when you think about how you have to begin to slow down a guy like Julian Smith he's he's one of those guys he's so good all you can do is start to limit him a little bit and what you have to do is you have to throw different bodies at him you got to give him different looks you start switching stuff at times and then maybe it you blitz him coming off of the screen and and just constantly mix it up and you Indy has the personnel to do that right you talk about a Corey Miller Jr. a Jesse Bingham a D Montgomery just three big time guys that can all give you different looks too you know, like a D Montgomery can really get into your body and, and be frustrating and, and kind of get into your airspace. 
Corey Miller Jr. can do a little bit of that as well, only he's got the size to just suffocate you on top of it. And then Bingham, kind of a similar story too. And then, you know, you've got the interior bodies too to, to pick up on the other end if you do want to double team off that off that pick and roll up at the top of the key or whatever the case might be as well. So some interesting matchups when you think about just what the style of play might be in this one. Absolutely. I mean, I'm really looking forward to this one. You, Indy, so physical and so tough. I, I expect, although we know Corey Miller Jr., probably going to get his normal 20. Jesse Bingham's been playing great as of late. I expect uh, you, Indy, to try to dominate the paint early on to just kind of throw punches down low first to be able to see how physical they can get with this Miners team early on. But, yes, looking forward to this matchup 100%. Yeah, and another thing that we didn't quite talk about there, Missouri S&T going to have to try to do their best on the glass because that's another thing. We expect the Hounds to go and try to pound things down in the paint. They're also going to do their best to really attack the glass and get some of those offensive rebounds. We'll see if the Miners are up to task. UND hosts Missouri S&T on Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central time. And then we move along to Truman State hosting Rockhurst, and goodness, Truman State has got to be thinking, are you serious after this Rockhurst team just took us down on senior day? We have to turn right around and play them again to open up the conference tournament. We've talked all year long about how deep this conference is. Not a single team finished with less than six wins in GLVC play, and Rockhurst, a great example of that. Truman State has has to be giving this Hawks team their full attention and then some for this game. No looking ahead to what a potential matchup in the next round might be for the Bulldogs here. Oh, no, you can. And I think that Truman State certainly understands that. I think Horner is going to be more prepared than he ever has been in a game like this at home in the conference tournament, knowing, hey, we were the number one seed in the Midwest Regional, but dropped two games to finish the regular season. They have to find a way to make things tougher on Nick Voles, who had 30 against them last time. And Truman, I mean, they probably feel sick after they coughed up a double-figure lead in the second half to Rockhurst, and Rockhurst prevailed. They had the energy and momentum on their senior day at home but now they have to go to an adverse environment go play in Kirksville and on Monday night I expect Truman to be prepared I mean Mason Miller I think is going to make shots Truman will not shoot as bad as they did in Kansas City to finish the regular season I think that has to be a concern for Rockhurst because Truman was just 5 of 23 from three-point range I don't expect them to shoot that bad in a playoff game at home and I definitely think that although it was kind of close in this game Truman was up by double figures then Mason Miller made it a one-point game with a minute left but then Voles made a basket next trip down and if Rockhurst uh, gets their way with Nick Voles they're going to be able to make it a close game once again they made their foul shots down the stretch to prevail last time over Truman State it should be a pretty good matchup once again and I think that for Rockhurst you really have to be impressed with the way that they have played in terms of at recently at home but now it kind of gets different when you go on the road against Truman State State, especially a Truman State team who's certainly hungry. I remember when we had a little bit of concern about them having a one and three stretch, then they ripped off six straight victories. They're a team that's capable of doing that once again, and I fully expect them to play well in this one, but they have to find a way to stop Nick Voles, or it might be a really tough, grinded out game for the Bulldogs once again. Well, and that's when it gets really interesting, and I love to have this conversation about 
kind of the analytics versus, you know, you're out there playing the game and, and what it feels like in the moment of a game versus what the numbers are telling you. Now, the numbers tell you, be Truman State. Take a bunch of threes. And why wouldn't you take a bunch of threes when you're a tremendous three-point shooting team like Truman State, over 40% is a team on the year. So, you know, it's it's no surprise why their emphasis is to get to that three-point line. But come postseason play, you know, all it takes is you watch two or three open threes that you get early in a game that don't drop for you. All of a sudden, the feel completely changes about your offense. And once guys start to become a little hesitant, on taking those open shots from the outside, you can see the dynamic of a game completely start to change. And I I like the way that Rockhurst matches up with this Truman State team. I mean, you've got Voles who can hold his own down low, be that guy that can at least somewhat neutralize a Cade McKnight and his scoring ability inside. And and Rich Byrie, again, another similar type guy with a large body that can force you inside out enforce this Truman State team to shoot threes well yeah they they shoot threes really well but if they have another bad night like they did in that regular season finale you could be talking about Rockers doing the unthinkable back-to-back I mean who knows that's what I think is tough is doing it back-to-back is going to be difficult but I'm right there with you if I look at this game from an approach of it's a tournament game the three seed versus the 14 seed throw the seeds out the window in this one Rockers just beat them Truman's going to be motivated Rockers has confidence because they just beat them both teams know each other front and back especially now studying each other's actions for three four five days in a row knowing the fact that you just had played them and you get the rematch I mean this is going to be a huge game if Truman is favored it's probably by three and a half points and it's rockers to I think certainly could cover the spread I mean this is going to be a one two possession game I think now you say that if Truman gets hot from deep yeah maybe they could extend it to double figures but I think rockers has capable shooters as well and that's why I think they're going to be able to keep it close they're going to try to empty the kitchen sink against Truman State because they know if Truman State lost three in a row to end their season, you would think that they may drop them from first to out of the Midwest Regional Top 8. You never know. That's, that's exactly the point that I was just going to make, and a great one that you bring up, Will. Think about the nerves beyond just what this means for the conference tournament for, for Truman State. The NCAA tournament implications here, it, like you said, if you end the season on a three-game losing streak and put that into the hands of of the computer formulas. You just never know. And I know they looked very favorably upon the Bulldogs earlier this year, ranking them number one. But you don't want to leave that up to chance, especially with the way that things have gone. And even beyond that, you know, going into the NCAA tournament, you want to be playing your best basketball. So Truman Mm -hmm. State looking to turn that around against Rockhurst. That should be an extremely interesting game at 730 on Monday night as Truman State hosts that one. And then we move to McKendry hosting Quincy. You're going to make the trip down to, to hang out with me for this one. McKendry struggling a little bit coming into this one. Quincy playing some better basketball coming in. And the schedule down the stretch, extremely difficult for McKendry. And maybe this can be a reset for the Bearcats. But Quincy looking to carry their momentum in. Quincy, yeah, I mean, they've won three of their last four games to finish the regular season, having the one loss on no rest to Southwest Baptist, just running into a buzzsaw offense who couldn't miss shots in the second half. But 
Quincy has been playing well. Now, let's go back to the first meeting this season. How about the off? I mean, was there a better offensive game and then this banger of a shootout? We had 91-86 was the final score at McKentry earlier this season. But I think both teams are a little bit different since then. Quincy's kind of picked it up a little bit on the defensive end. I don't know if McKendry's going to be able to as easily score 91 points. However, I also think that I don't know if Quincy is going to be able to shoot the ball as well. I mean, they had 48 points in the first half and led at halftime despite McKendry shooting over 70% in the first half in that initial meeting. And Bryson Boltman had the best game of his season coming off a game where he was shut down. He had 32, had his way with Quincy in the opening meeting. Can they slow down Boltman is going to be the question for the Quincy University Hawks to see if they can't get some get some momentum and get some defensive stops in this game to lead to them playing some good basketball. And I know when you look back, I mean, a guy like Malik Harbin was your main scorer in the opening meeting. He doesn't really even play for Quincy much at all anymore. So it's different guys who have stepped up down the stretch, like Paul Zolinskis, who's become a big scorer, or Jalen Stamps, who didn't even really play in in the opening game. So it's a different Quincy team that McKendry's running into who has won three of their last four, but it's certainly going to be difficult as it is for any team in this league to try to stop Bryce Boltman. I mean, Quincy certainly it's a matchup problem for, for the Hawks and you know how McKendry can get him downhill. You've seen it all year, those elbow cuts and then leads to three pointers. And I know McKendry just shot the three lights out in that opening meeting. So it will be interesting. I'm looking forward to this game so much. I can't wait to see it. And if Bryce Boltman rips the Nets apart against Quincy again, then certainly that puts McKendry in a great position to go to the Vandalabine Center. But Quincy certainly motivated after winning three of their last four to finish the regular season. Yeah, going back to that regular season meeting between McKendry and Quincy, Boltman had a season-high 32 points on 11 of 14 shooting. And, you know, you, you think about these two teams playing each other in that matchup earlier this year this is one of my favorite box scores that i that i've ever seen period in my lifetime mckendry <laughs> shoot 67 percent in this game from the field and from the three-point line 94 percent from the free throw line and quincy nearly still pulled away the win just a just a five-point win for mckendry in that one despite all of those numbers and one of the reasons why quincy is is so relentless on the offensive glass the Hawks had more offensive rebounds against McKendry in that game than they had defensive rebounds. 15 offensive rebounds to just 12 defensive boards for Quincy. Now, I know a lot of that had to do with just trying to get some stops against McKendry. Everything was going through the bucket. But this is a team for Quincy that, look, McKendry's going to have to do a lot better job on the defensive glass if they want to win this one. You just can't expect to shoot 67% again you're going to have to do better in those kind of effort and energy categories. And you look in the turnover department in that game too. Quincy, only eight turnovers. McKendry turned the ball over 15 times. So in both of those categories, I think McKendry is going to have to make market improvements if they want to come away with a win in this one, especially considering the Bearcats finished the season not shooting the three ball very well. And that's a huge part of their game and their offense and what they want to do. You better pick things up doing the little things when your shot's not going down. And then it's so funny how the game of basketball works out like that, Will. You do some of those things. You give your body up. You, you cause a tie-up. You, you come up with a big rebound. 
And then all of a sudden the shot falls down for you where the open shot didn't before. So we'll see if McKendry can maybe do a few of those things in this game. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't seen a team shoot better this season than what McKentry did to begin that game. I mean, I know we are both calling that game. Fans listening now, oh, Colin Surrey, Will Connerly. And they're going to be talking about this game longer than anyone because that's the two game that they're going to be calling and they're going to be at. But I mean, <laughs> this is the this is the PXP perspective, and we're gonna we're gonna show our perspective of what we saw in that initial matchup and what we're gonna see in this matchup coming forward. I can't wait to break this down like we are right now to see this game, and then of course to break it down again when we have a podcast later this week. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of good players in this game. Boltman certainly the headliner, and Quincy they know that. If he gets 32 points again, it could be another long night. I think that it's going to be tough because Quincy knows how good he is, and they saw that firsthand. But, I mean, McKentry, what? They were they were like 15 of their first 16 from the floor in that game. I mean, it was just ridiculous what they did and how well they played. I mean, Quincy got 52 points off their bench in this game, and they've shown that really anybody can step up and have a 20-point night for this team. I think that's a great added benefit to a team that's toward the top of the league in scoring. You know they can score, but how can they stop McKendry is going to be the question. Yeah, it'll be really fun to watch. Bryce Boltman and the Bearcats hosting Paul Zelenskis and the Hawks on Monday night at 7 p.m. We cannot wait to call that one respectively for each of our teams. And it should be interesting to see who comes away with the win. Now, the winner of that one will take on the winner of Maryville at Lewis. And this is, again, that same situation that we talked about with Truman. Now, I know it wasn't on Saturday, but on Thursday, Maryville beats Lewis 49-48. to And now the Flyers have to turn right back around and try to bounce back on their home floor against a Maryville team that picked up Two incredibly impressive wins to end the year. Yeah, Maryville's playing really well right now, but now they have to go to Lewis. Lewis, motivated. I mean, do you think, I don't know if Lewis can be held to 48 points again in their home building. Neil Carey Arena, a place they play well. Connor Nego had been struggling. You think he will probably break out and have a good game, but Ari Jackson's been shooting the ball well for Maryville. And a term that you've used, muddy it up. That's what Maryville wants to do. They want to limit the possessions, slow things down. How does Lewis respond to a little bit of adversity to to end the season? I know they're the number two seed, but they faced adversity the final week of the regular season, while Maryville had a lot of success the last week of the regular season. You know sports is such a business of what have you done for me lately, and I know that Lewis in that regard hasn't done as much as Maryville in that last week of the regular season, but the full body of work, of course, Lewis the two seed Maryville the 15 seed and that's why Maryville has to make the trek up to Romeoville but I mean this is going to be a really good game certainly a one point game after that ugly 49 48 game and a win for Maryville it should be another nail biter but I fully expect Lewis to bounce back and pick up a victory but I mean Maryville is just a dangerous team I mean we've talked about it throughout the duration of these last two podcasts breaking down their last two games and now previewing this one they hung close with Truman. They hung close with Southern Indiana. They hung close with Umsel. They hung close at McKendry. They beat Lewis. I mean, they have some impressive results. They can hang with many teams in this league, and I expect this one to be a nail-biter once again. Well, you talk about the adversity for Lewis, and maybe that's the key with this team. It's almost like the fight doesn't start until they've been dropped to the mat first. They started the year 0-5. 
they bounced back and they were the the lead team in the conference for a majority of this season, you know, coughing it up on this last weekend. But this is a Lewis team that, that we've seen when they've been faced with some of that adversity. That's when they've been able to bounce back and, and show some of their best basketball. They made that run in the conference tournament last year, and they're probably thinking to themselves, hey, it starts now. We're going to flip that switch and show why we are one of those top teams in the GLVC. Exactly. And Lewis, I mean, how good have they shot the three this year? It's been great, but the last week it was under 20%. So if they can make the threes, get some confidence in their home gym, I expect them to respond, bounce back, and beat the 15 seed Maryville. But it's not going to be easy. Certainly not going to be easy. The Lewis Flyers host Maryville in that two versus 15 matchup. So now that we've gone through all of those matchups, just to give you an idea of who the winners will play of each of them as we wrap things up here as William Jewell and Lindenwood play each other. The winner of that one will play Southwest Baptist. The winner of Southern Indiana and Illinois Springfield plays the winner of Umsel and Drury. The winner of UND and Missouri S&T plays the winner of Truman State and Rockhurst. And the winner of McKendry and Quincy plays the winner of Lewis and Maryville. Well, well, this has been a whole lot of fun breaking all of this down and I can only imagine how much better it's going to be on the other side when we get to kind of react to everything and then look ahead to the the remainder of the conference tournament from the quarterfinals on. Hey, Colin, no doubt about it. I, I appreciate a lot of the support we've got from everybody through the Great Lakes Valley Conference and uh, all people just that follow men's basketball throughout this league and people that have uh, really loved the league. Like, we've been able to try to bring some information to people like this, and it's been really fun. And now it's the best time of the year with the tournament coming up. I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, coming up for this matchup uh, here tonight with McKendry and, and Quincy playing each other. So I'm looking forward to that Colin and to see you there and to see this game it's going to be fun but appreciate everybody uh, being able to follow along and love on this league like we have so much it's been so much fun and now uh, let's let the March Madness begin yeah absolutely a huge thank you to everyone including Chris McCabe who joined us for this episode of the play-by-play perspective the head coach of William Jewell kind enough to join us ahead of their matchup tonight against Lindenwood. So that'll do it for us for now. And until next time, we'll we'll have some more great basketball breakdown for you on the play-by-play perspective. I'm Colin Surrey saying so long for Will Counterland.